welcome back to The Nerd is the Word. I am your host, Carolyn Farnham. I'm your other host, Adam Chisholm. And feminism is our second favorite F word. The first one is friendship. Uh, so today we have a very special episode for you in honor of Women's History Month. We are talking about warrior women that you might not know about, but definitely should know about from different periods and places in history. We have a very special guest for you today, my personal friend, Mike Murphy. Mike, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello, everyone. Um, history major and future librarian here. Very excited to talk about all these incredible women. Fantastic. And in case you're wondering how we decided to select these women, uh, Adam and I came up with an, an initial list, a pretty long list of very cool ladies. You voted on our Facebook group to talk about, kind of just vote about who you wanted to hear more about. And we used your input to determine our top eight, who we're going to tell you a little bit more details uh, about. So how are we going to discuss them? What criteria are we going to discuss? There are three parts. Number one is historical impact. Two, very important, the consistent aesthetics factor. And the third is the what the fuck, how have I never heard of this person before factor. Um, all right, should we just jump right into our list and uh, name our top eight? I'd say so. I think um, uh, I, I, I wanna say before we get into this, yeah. I am going to mispronounce some names here and I am so, so sorry ahead of time, but I've done some research. I am so excited to talk about all of them and that's, yeah, ladies. <laughs> All right, so starting with number eight, Mary Bowser, a former slave turned spy in the Civil War. Number seven, like I said before, Fulan Devi. Fulan Devi. The bandit queen who became a member of parliament in India, yes? Yes, in India. Awesome. Uh, coming in at uh, next, because I lost count, Grace O'Malley, Ireland's pirate queen. Uh, number five, because that's how numbers work, uh, <laughs> shade, uh, that would be Boudicca, the warrior queen and Rome's worst nightmare. Number four, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, best friends, Stonewall activists, and LGBTQ pioneers. Uh, Noor Inyat Khan, uh, who is a World War II pacifist spy. Very fascinating lady. Absolutely. Uh, Number two, the Night Witches, World War II pilots who kept Nazis up at night. And the last one is Ching Shi, the history's most powerful pirate. Another one of my personal favorites. All right, so we are going to start by just talking about these ladies, going from number eight to number one, and basically convincing you that you should know more about uh, history in general and about these women's personal history as well. So let's jump in with Mary Bowser. Mary Bowser was originally born in Virginia in the United States, uh, right before the Civil War happened. She was, however, uh, born as a slave to a family that luckily had an abolitionist Lead, like kind of like matriarch. Um, these two women became very close friends. They were raised together and this matriarch ended up freeing Mary Bowser. Also Mary Bowser had a sense of, uh, of humor because she, her like spy name was Ellen Bond, uh, which is like a pun for bondage, but also like kind of like a James Bond reference. I don't know if it like happened at all in the same period of history, oh. but I find that personally very funny. Not at all <laughs> related, but like delightful coincidence. Yeah, really <laughs> I, funny. I don't know when James Bond books were first written, but I doubt it was Definitely during the Civil War. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably way after. Uh, again, this is why history is important, kids. Uh, yeah. But she was the first Bond. There you go. This is yeah. like a fun fact that we didn't know. Um, but she was born <laughs> to the Van Lu family, which is what I was going to double check. And she and Elizabeth Van Lu were very good friends. Uh, Elizabeth freed her. Um, Mary did a little bit of exploration. And what's fascinating about Mary is that even when she was freed, so because of the Fugitive Slave Act, that was um, very much in effect during this time, obviously. If you were a freed slave and you left, you couldn't come back if you came back, you would basically be like back in bondage. So despite the fact that she was freed and she was able to leave, she came back because she wanted to help with the civil war efforts. Now the Van Lu family, shout out to them, they were big abolitionists. They had uh, basically, they were in Richmond, Virginia, which was the capital of the Confederacy. Not a lot of, you know, good people there, um, but they used their attic and their basement as like an, a stop on the Underground Railroad. They were very much like abolitionists and they were, very convinced that they could try to kind of like break down the Confederacy from the inside. So Mary was like, hey, I have a photographic memory and also have coolest balls. So like, how about I just like go spy on the on Jefferson Davis? 
And they were like, you know what, Mary, you son of a gun. Absolutely. So she went and she spied for years, for years under Jefferson Davis. And she was like feeding information to the union throughout her time as a slave. She pretended that she couldn't read. She pretended she couldn't write. And she basically was just like, she was a slave again in all but you know reality because she knew her reality. Um, and she convinced them that she was basically just like illiterate and couldn't do anything to help. And she would sneak out. She would sew clues into her mistress's garments, bring them to the laundress. The laundress was in on it. The laundress would pass the notes. Like, it was an insane spy ring. And she was like one of the most effective spies in the entirety of the Civil War. But what's a real kicker about Miss Mary Bowser is that when she found out that she was going to get got, she was like, you know what's a great idea? Fires. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was like, fuck you, Jefferson Davis, and your whole like Black people aren't as good as white people kind of manifesto that you have there. I'm going to set your house on fire. So she did. And she did. Well, it didn't burn the entire thing to the ground. I just think it's a beautiful like comeuppance. It's a beautiful like full circle fuck you to the South, to these people that like, the Civil War was about slavery. We can, the Civil War was about slavery. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> people who just wanted to like own people. Uh, and Mary Bowser was just like middle fingers to the sky, doing a backflip out of a window while setting the house on fire. Cool lady. Now, after the Civil War, she uh, became a teacher for former slaves because she was educated because she uh, did missionary work in Liberia. Um, but yeah, no, she's amazing i believe there was actually a drunk history episode uh, about her oh i uh, love that yeah it was hilarious and like just like i know like we're not judging these women we're just talking about them because as we talked about off the podcast we were just like it feels weird to like rate them on how cool they were because they were all really cool and also like all women deserve to be treated with respect so we're not rating them we're just talking about like how cool they were um my historical impact was in, like very very effective she was basically she could have been killed at any point for what mm. she was doing. And she took that risk very knowing what she was in for uh, and decided to do it. And, and she really, she was able to discuss like troop movements and supply lines. And there are so many battles and moments of the, of the civil war that were impacted by her knowledge and, and by the fact that she was right in the, basically the belly of the beast. I mean, cool factor. Can't, she set fire to the house. What a boss. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel like she should be up there with like the revolution, mm -hmm. not the Revolutionary War generals, the Civil War generals that we know yeah. so much, like Sherman's March to the Sea and everything. Like we should know about her in line with that, especially since in American classrooms, we learned so much about American wars. I feel like that that is definitely a through line for everyone we're going to be talking about. It's people who stuck their necks out to do the right thing but yeah uh any more thoughts on um on mary bowser mike i mean just incredible and uh i th find it interesting that the, her whole like the fact that we do know her story is thanks to the niece of uh her former master mm -hmm. there was some in interview in like harper's weekly in like 19 10 11 that she spoke about her and created this whole like mythology and story about it and i think there was even like a tv series adaptation in the 70s or 80s and thing. Yeah. So it's just having that much impact after her life that like this this young woman was clearly that impressed by her to talk about her um, yeah. at a time when frankly it would have been unpopular to talk about an, a proactive black woman. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I just I love that like her 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 owner uh, passed away and his wife and daughter were you know what all right let's shit on this guy's legacy real quick. All right, so moving on to our next uh, badass lady. Poulan Devi. Um, so we should put, have put this uh, trigger warning in the beginning of the show. I completely forgot. Um, but unfortunately, when talking about women throughout history, uh, very often these stories have sexual assault and rape intertwined with them. Uh, it is just an unfortunate reality. And while we're certainly not going to be gratuitous about it, we respect any viewers or any listeners' decisions to not want to hear about it. Um, we will, of course, talk about if we're going to discuss it with each woman, uh, but we just also wanted to give a heads up to anybody who may be listening who may be triggered by that. It's a, a, a hard topic to uh, avoid when uh, when talking about this one specifically. Mm -hmm. Yes. First of all, the context of like, oh no, this wasn't someone in the distance past. This She is more or less a peer of my parents. Mm -hmm. uh, was very disturbing when reading about, you know, the poverty, child marriage, unfortunately, 
a part of child marriage is inherently rape. And then going beyond that into a life of crime as an escape, then starting a gang war, more or less. <laughs> because uh, the, the gang leader severely abused her. And then the second of command took him out on her behalf. And then that caused a rift in the gang. Gang war ensued, including a mass violence that would later bite her in the butt, um, unfortunately. But in the meantime, she had a great run of crime, evaded capture for two years, ended up in jail, but still got pardoned by the state government and then ran for Indian parliament and got elected twice. By a landslide, too. Yeah. Yeah. Until, uh, unfortunately, being assassinated by relatives of uh, the people that she massacred in her quest for vengeance on the people who abused her. She was a on a quest for vengeance, absolutely. She was born into one of the lowest caste systems in India. I think actually the lowest, uh, which is Malala. Um, and I may be mispronouncing that. So if anybody is in the comments and wants to correct our organization on that, please, please do. Uh, but she was basically considered to be the lowest of the low in her village and in Indian society. Um, as such, she was treated like shit as anybody in that case system was. Um, and going along with that is the fact, especially that women can just be used and abused by people who are more wealthy and who are in a higher case system than they are. Uh, she was sent to get married at 11 years old. Uh, she was married off to a 33 year old man. And of course that was an abusive relationship. She escaped, walked the length of Texas back home and then decided, you know what? I've had a fucking enough. So different things, she, she started basically just doing small acts of rebellion, like not allowing her cousins to boss her around. Her cousins were in high, higher case systems. And then, and then uh, she got kidnapped by bandits. Uh, this was during one of her protests. While she was kidnapped, she was still a young, like a preteen at this time. She was like maybe 13, 14 years old. And while she was kidnapped by bandits, uh, the second in command, whose name was Vikram, Vikram fell in love with her and he didn't touch her. But when the bandit leader attempted to rape her, Vikram was like, fuck you buddy and killed him. Uh, they started a romantic relationship that was actually consensual according to Pulak herself. Uh, and he was not that much older than her. He was also like a, pretty much a teenage boy. And they had like a love affair slash crime affair that like definitely better than Bonnie and Clyde's in my opinion, because the whole goal of Pulak was just like, fuck the world, I'm going to burn it down and I'm going to take revenge on anybody who abuses, especially women in my case system. She got the nickname Durga, who was the goddess of vengeance in the Hindu religion. I knew way too much about Mulan mm. Devi and still not <laughs> enough. Um, but she became mythological in her terror. And people, anytime, especially again, women of this low case system were abused, they would say things like, Pulan will avenge me. And if she heard about shit like that, she would. She, now she did, you know, tons of violence, <laughs> mass murder, including mass murder. Um, and it was in revenge for horrible acts committed against her and committed against children and women. And so in a sense, I think that the reason why we love her so much is because she was at heart a vigilante and she was a vigilante that did, that did things, not necessarily the like quote unquote right way, but my God, it was effective. Yeah. <laughs> I yep. love the anecdote about her going back to her her first husband, uh, stabbing him, leaving him for dead, and sending the message, don't marry kids. And he did end up surviving. He got a message. Um, I do not, I will say to you, there is a movie about her called The Bandit Queen. Do not watch it because she herself hated it. She was like, they turned me into a sniveling woman. Like, don't watch it. Uh, yeah. So uh, definitely there are other sources out there that are better if you want to learn about the yeah. one. I was going to mention that they she actually sat down with the people who were making the movie and she said they could release it as long as they get rid of this scene this scene and this scene and she uh, they said sure yeah and then she sat down to watch it and they did none of that and it's uh fucking bullshit yeah, yeah um, she should definitely have more say in like her biography yeah um and th that is another um another through line with i mean maybe not all of the women we're talking about today but like vengeance is a big word for a lot of these stories that we're talking mm -hmm. about um, the, the next lady i actually know the least about yes how about you mike um yeah i guess i could speak to her a bit um well apparently 
part of the difficulty is there aren't many Irish sources about her. We only know mm-hmm. her through the eyes of her enemies, the English, right. uh, that being Grace O'Malley, Ireland's pirate queen, uh, which is obviously not her name. That is an Anglicization. I'm not even going to try to name. I can't pronounce Gaelic. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it, it's spelled <laughs> it's spelled G-R-A-I-N-N-E. And then her last name is N-I-M-H-A-I-L-L-E. Uh, Irish is very hard to pronounce, and uh, I, I don't want to bastardize it too badly. Uh, but the as the anglicization is is Grace Malley. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, as a kind of introduction, like uh, her father was like an important lord in Western Ireland. I think the region's Connacht, uh, and when he died, she more or less took over the family business, which I found interesting. She did have brothers so it wasn't like oh this is my only daughter you just have to do the job which is happens a lot in like nobility and royalty mm-hmm. but no she had brothers but she was just that capable that yes i'm in charge now right <laughs> and um and she also married quite well too and this being ireland there's a lot of clans a lot of feuds uh, a lot of back and forth her hubby did die in an ambush uh and she wanted vengeance and 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 that proved to be a pattern because in between there was um, a, a crash sailor that ended up on her land that she started shacking up with who also got killed. And so she, you know, attacked, raised an army, attacked her, um, his killers and then had a second marriage. And then she eventually like met up with Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> That's the coolest detail. part of her story. I love the detail that she didn't speak English, Elizabeth obviously did not speak Irish, so they spoke Latin to each other. And mm-hmm. this was in the 1590s, and they were just speaking Latin to each other. Right. And it was, uh, I will say, you know, shout out for Queen Elizabeth, who's like a very well-known historical figure, uh, but she actually took the meeting with Grace, and she didn't mm-hmm. have to. And I think Grace was in her 60s, and uh, Queen Elizabeth was rather up in age as well. Um, and just these two elderly queens met and had a parlay, and basically were just like, yeah, you know what, like, I, as a woman who like also like had to deal with a whole bunch of shit, um, yeah, retire in peace and like have a good life. Uh, and that was kind of like the end of her story because Grace O'Malley was just like very pissed at like a governor of England and was like, you know what, instead of dealing with this asshole, I'm gonna go to your boss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first. It was the first speak to the manager move. Yeah. <laughs> Grace Karen O'Malley. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so many legends about her too like uh, and we don't know what's truth and what's fact because uh, so many irish legends and and primary sources have been destroyed by the english shout out to england you're awful um (laughs) you've conquered the world for spices and decided you didn't like any slam on english cuisine but she was definitely a, a a queen of her own land and a queen of her own castle who was also the queen of uh fuck you i do what i want yeah um oh. and i think that she just embodies that spirit yeah she had a real what was oh i wrote it down uh she had a really cool nickname oh the dark lady of duna fucking dope Ooh. as hell yeah holy <laughs> shit i read you know, I, I read that one and got chills yeah <laughs> duna is the castle owned owned by the people who killed her lover and also um apparently she got there's a story of how she got in trouble with a monk who broke a vow of silence to throw <laughs> her off because she was pursuing someone who had taken shelter in the monastery and she did not respect the monastery and she was he was trying to tell her off and she was just like i was really sad that in the little paragraph about it is like her response was not recorded and i just know destroyed <laughs> him and the monk did not write it down for that purpose yeah <laughs> Oh yeah, she eviscerated him verbally, and we love, <laughs> we love to see it. Um, like another, there's so like again, so many stories about her. But another one of my favorites is that she tied a string from her boat to her bedroom, mm-hmm. and like that way, she her bed would like move, her bedpost would move if someone was trying to steal her ship. Yeah, so she could like run out. But when she was arrested, uh, like she was arrested in England, she spent some time in jail, and then when she escaped a whole bunch of men like tried to attack her and she fought them off and got all the way to the shipyard and escaped. Like when she was like really young and her father brought her onto the ship, um, uh, apparently there was word that like she saved her father's life. Like he told her to go below the ship because they were being attacked. And instead of doing that, she like got up on the rigging of the ship and saw someone sneaking up on her father, yelled to him. He turned around and killed this guy. He's like, 
okay, my daughter <laughs> saved my life. I guess she's good to have here. Um, but then the I other guess. one, yeah, I, I, I suppose it's okay if you stick, stick around. Um, but the other one is she was also being attacked uh, when she was, you know, with the captain of, of her own ship uh, right after giving birth. And she gives birth oh, yeah. and goes up and fucking fights off these people. It's like, you <laughs> warrior queen. Hell, yes. goddamn yes. Yeah, a lot of these women did things while pregnant or having just given birth. And right. you think about that and you're just like, holy shit, like, no man has ever done that. We're built different. Is there anything else we want to say about uh, Grace? Oh, a couple of fun more stories from our audience with Elizabeth. Apparently, there's a lot of cultural miscommunication, as you would expect. <laughs> she got in trouble because she kept a dagger on her person. The English were like, oh, you're trying to take out Elizabeth. Because there obviously, there was a lot of assassination attempts against Elizabeth over the course of her reign. And she was just like, no, it's for my personal protection. And Elizabeth was like, I get you. I see you. Yeah. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, then, um, and dish- dishing uh, English hygiene. Apparently, like, mm-hmm. she used a handkerchief oh, and she burned it. And the English were like, what the fuck did you do that for? And she's just like, you don't do that? Like, that's good practice. The <laughs> Irish are not in the habit of carrying dirty things. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to Boudicca? My mom's yeah. personal favorite. Boudicca's one of my mom's personal favorite historical figures. Um, warrior queen, queen of England before, well, Britain, Great Britain technically, uh, before it was taken over by Rome. Uh, she is also... She like went down in history for just being a giant headache for Rome mm-hmm. and fighting them constantly. She's another one where it was like vengeance. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, in in short, uh, she said, "Fuck you to Rome. No, you can't have my land." And she led a campaign. She killed seventy thousand people. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just bananas it's Um, war and she was sorry it's war yeah (laughs) and you burn two cities to the ground people are gonna die wasn't it something like she was like one battle away from just like fucking straight up beating rome like the only thing the only the only people that have ever beat rome are rome and like she almost (laughs) fucking did it herself it was the the last battle that like really put a, a nail in the coffin of her rebellion was it was basically a strategical nightmare. They were very confident that they were going to win. And that confidence was their downfall because it was like they brought the non-warriors to kind of like buffer the back of their armies mm-hmm. so they could be there to celebrate the victory once they won. But when things, the tide turned and they started losing because the Romans were conquering people. They were very well organized. It just took them a very long time to get organized in Britain because they didn't expect to meet resistance. Mm. But once they got organized, they were able to decimate through the troops. And when they tried to retreat because they had their their civilians in the back of their uh, army, they were not able to retreat quickly. Uh, So that ended in like a slaughter and a massacre. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the end of Boudicca's rebellion. However, she gave them hell. Um, And it was again, you know, content warning. Uh, in response to the fact that she was a queen, she had daughters. Very early on when the Romans were there, they attacked, assaulted her and her daughters, publicly flogged her, and basically tried to like shame her out of out of her rule. Um, she said no. <laughs> a lot less gently and decided yeah. like we shall not go quietly into this good night. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to just fuck Rome up for as long as we can. And that's what she did an additive context for how awful the Romans did treat her. Her dad was a Roman ally who helped with the initial conquest of Britain. Uh, so they really just, the Romans did not pay them back kindly for that help. Um, yeah. As, yeah, the Romans are kind of dicks. I do, I do find it hilarious that Nero, it was like the year 60, he was like, fuck this island. You can't grow grapes there. Just let's leave. <laughs> Yeah, she she had twenty three sorry twenty three hundred thousand people in her army. That's how many she was leading. Jesus. Um, yeah, so she really knew how to rally the troops, as it were. Basically, the the population of the greater Springfield area into battle. Yep. Yeah. Wow, puts it into context. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. It's a hundred thousand more than the population of Springfield. I know at least that much. 
Wow, I didn't know that. Look at you knowing random things. It's, I know things about my place. Basketball and Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about Queen Boudica? I will just say, because we only, another case of, we know her through the sources of, like, through her enemies and through their eyes. Yeah. Celts didn't write. So we only know about Romans who wrote, after, and some of them wrote, like, decades after she was, hmm. like, a thing, which speaks to, like, the, the hold she had on the Roman psyche. Um, that she was still, like, Good a for her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the nightmare of Rome. Moving on to the next wonderful ladies on this list. So it is possible to separate Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. They are two separate people, um, but they were best friends and a lot of their activism happened together. So when I put them on this list, I wanted to keep them together because I think that they are such a wonderful pair and kind of similar to the night, which is uh, their impact I think was greater because of they, they had each other. They had each other. Um, does anybody want to start off with Marsha and Sylvia? So Marsha and Sylvia were uh, New Yorkers. Uh, they are trans women of color. They were trans women of color who did so much in their life for the LGBTQ movement, uh, specifically uh, for trans rights, gay rights, lesbian rights um, of that time. They also were, uh, you don't want to say members, but patrons of the Stonewall Bar, which is a famous bar in New York. Uh, which is where the first Pride riot started, and Pride did start as a riot, did not start as a parade. Um, Sylvia and Marsha uh, were very influential in getting help for a lot of LGBTQ youth, especially um, because during that time, and in fact still today, a very large problem is the fact that uh, when teenagers come out to their parents or when young people come out to their parents, they are often kicked out of their home and are homeless. Uh, so Sylvia and Marsha back then were doing a lot of work, especially with the homeless community, um, and they were doing a lot of work just to try to gain acceptance in their own small communities. Uh, they supported each other. They tried to provide hot meals and homes and waypoints for youth in New York City. Um, and when the police raided the Stonewall Bar where they were, it was also illegal at this time to and it sounds weird to say now, but wear clothes that were not associated with your gender. And like, mm -hmm. I think about like the fact that like, I wear my, boy, my, my husband's hoodie. Like even that kind of thing would have been considered illegal. It would have been considered cross-dressing. And Sylvia and Marsha were women who dressed like women, but because they weren't born as women, they could just be arrested for wearing a dress. Yeah. Um, New York's come a long way, shout out to New York, but it's come a long way because of activists like Sylvia and Marsha. So when the Stonewall Bar got raided uh, that night and the police started arresting people. Basically, they just said, we've had enough. Someone threw a brick. We don't know who that person was, but it wasn't uh, the white guy in the Stonewall movie. <laughs> we, we know that much. Um, You're saying it wasn't a white twink, what? <laughs> um, but, you know, then the Stonewall riots happened happened and that turned into a history of pride and that basically set the tone for like we've had enough it is time to to start yelling and Sylvia and Marshall were on the forefront of that riot of that movement um, and they were really incredibly influential in LGBTQ rights in the United States of America uh, and their names aren't very well known and part of that is because they're women they're women of color they're trans women um, and so it's just good to get their names out there and understand that like, you know, gay marriage was just legalized very recently. But the fact that that happened is because of these two women. Uh, so they are very, very cool. Definitely look them up. If you visit the Stonewall Bar, it's still there in New York City, in Manhattan. Keep in mind like the women who, who, who like made things possible. Sylvia uh, Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. That's my spiel. Perfect. <laughs> That's a good spiel. Um, I saw clips of um, Sylvia's speech uh, at, at the rally in 73, and it's just, it's so passionate, and like the, the passion in it is just, oh man, this is awesome, but then you start listening to the words and what she's saying, and it's absolutely heartbreaking that, you know, not only are they part of this group of people that are, you know, not included in, you know, I can't, I can't put the words together properly, but within this this group of people who are cast aside they are also cast aside and ignored by people that they considered their own and it's just yeah it, it's so 
it's so difficult to to imagine as you know someone in my position uh, of, of I've come from great privilege and it's just to be casted out in, in two levels casted squared it's just mm. uh, it, it is absolutely nightmare inducing to be honest no you're right i mean trans people are still to an ex to an extent ostracized in the lgbtq community even mm -hmm. though they have their own letter um you're right. <laughs> you would think that that wouldn't be the case uh, but not binary people and trans people it's it's still a fight and it's something that we also have to keep in mind as allies as members of the lgbtq community that like things have to be actively inclusive and you have to actively be pursuing that. It doesn't just happen passively. Mm. And we can learn from these women and their activism, right? It's not passivism, it's activism. You have to be active about it. Um, and if you are in any kind of position of power, any kind of privilege, you have to also be willing to put your voice and your reputation and everything else you are on the line mm -hmm. to activate for people who have less privilege than you do. Um, we can learn so much from Marsha and Sylvia. Oh, and my company co published a children's book called Sylvia and Marsha Start a Revolution. Uh, and if anybody listening would like a free copy of that book, please do let me know uh, because you get to learn a lot about both of these women, uh, their movement, and it's a children-friendly book and it's also just beautifully written and illustrated. So I do recommend it. Yeah, uh, I will just say a reason why they're not particularly well known is you know, the respectability politics of the LGBTQ plus movement, especially at that time, uh, was very much focused on cis, white, gay men and lesbians. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so there was not a lot of solidarity across that. And um, additionally, because uh, there's the assimilation line where like we want to be a part of uh, a heteronormative society and just treated no differently as opposed to you know queer liberation which is more where they were aligned more or less like yes they are now known as trans women I do, they didn't necessarily use that vocabulary themselves because that was not the terminology at the time and they're just generally gender non-conforming they did yeah, whatever yeah. they wanted mm -hmm. and that's that is their prerogative and that should be celebrated yeah and I just want to bring up that uh, Johnson in particular also was an activist for HIV AIDS Mm -hmm. uh, towards the end of her life, she was HIV positive, and she died suspiciously. It was initially ruled a suicide, uh, and it, years later, thanks to activism on the part of Sylvia, it was ruled death unknown because there was suspected foul play involved. Yeah. I think her, her case was reopened as recently as 2016, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And justice, I mean, takes a long time, especially for yeah. marginalized people. It's a, a constant fight, a constant fight. Um, we have to keep, we have to keep that in mind as we continue fighting. Never too late to fight more. It's to try to find justice. For Especially yeah. in like this current moment where like you have that Florida don't say gay bill, you mm -hmm. have that mm -hmm. recent Texas executive order legalizing child abuse against trans kids for, and yeah. pen, like penalizing parents for supporting them. Yeah. Like just, this is not history. This is mm -hmm. the present moment. A, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And trans people are who they say they are. People are who they say they are. Like that mm -hmm. is at the end of the story. And like I, someone said it really well, where it's like, if I ever have a child and they change their identity, their gender identity 1 million times, I will, I will support them 1 million times because I'd rather have a kid that felt comfortable enough to do that than a dead kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that's, that's it. Absolutely. But yeah, no, it's, it's Mike well said, it is a, a fight that is ongoing. Nor, nor, uh, nor uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a happy story. It does not end happily, but it does end in a way that gives you chills. Uh, mm. So Nor is a real life princess. She was a real life princess. Uh, she was Indian English, English Indian. Uh, so she was a mixed parentage, which definitely made her stand out a lot. Uh, during that time. She was also a pacifist. Uh, she did not believe in violence. And um, she was a very bad liar. She like always failed her lie tests. She could not make things up to save her life. Um, and she didn't really even like England that much. Uh, she, <laughs> I mean, obviously as someone who was uh, of mixed race in England in this time period, as a woman, definitely she had dealt with a lot of shit. Right. Uh, she didn't live all that much of her life in England. Oh, she was in France a lot. Yeah. yeah. She, she was, she lived in, well, first born in Moscow, because very right. international. Yeah. Lived yeah. in England until she was six, moved to France, and only went back to England 
when the Germans invaded. So she, it's questionable how much she considered her identified with English, even though she ultimately served uh, their special service. Yeah. And she was very devoted to India's independence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was her fight. So like when she went in for her interview for espionage, they were just like, well, why do you want to fight for Great Britain? She was like, honestly, I don't. Y'all kind of suck. But let me tell you, <laughs> but the Nazis are worse. <laughs> so, and like, that was her. And well, she ended up like getting hired. Um, and she, I, I mean, she on paper, what she was literally just like the worst spy you could possibly imagine on paper. And like, she was a Sufi, so she was completely against violence. And yet, and yet she did all of this kind of stuff. Um, I think I wrote it down somewhere, but she lasted six months in a job that had a life expectancy of two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the life expectancy she, was more like six weeks, but still she, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially as someone who, in the, the training, everyone was just like, what the fuck are you doing here? You do not belong here. Right. <laughs> Purely because she was good at um, wireless technology. Yeah, she was very good. She was like a savant with wireless technology. And at one point, she was the only um, operator doing like the, oh God, I forget what it's called. Switchboard? But the way they would send messages. Yeah, the switchboard communication. She was the only one left in Paris at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was the sole person responsible for getting messages to allies. Mm. like the pressure <laughs> right yeah no helping coronate the french resistance with the uh with the allies i love this there there's a story of her um uh she was setting up a an antenna uh clearly for using the radio and a nazi saw her and questioned her about it and she tricked him she said she she just loves listening to music on the radio and the nazi helped her set up this antenna fucking dumbass <laughs> nazis <laughs> which is also hilarious when you consider that in every kind of like report that's made on her they were like she's so bad at lying so she was right. definitely there just like uh uh uh, uh. <laughs> like, <laughs> she definitely rolled a natural 20 but has a charisma of like one <laughs> yeah um but yeah she was for five months she was the only one in paris she evaded the gestapo she outran nazis um and like she was just like doing this work for five months by herself she had no one else there and she was a brown woman in nazi occupied paris Mm -hmm. like i can't imagine what that was like but um, unfortunately after those five months uh, a double agent betrayed her Mm -hmm. uh and so it wasn't even her fault she did not mess up in any way shape or form she was just a spy who got betrayed um and she was caught and she was um, eventually sent to a concentration camp. But before she was, she escaped twice from imprisonment, mm-hmm. I believe. At least she um, Right. Yeah. At least so, she did have a, an escape attempt. Uh, yeah. And sadly failed. Uh, also, my, like, she was kept in solitary confinement for, like, a, yeah. uh, for a period of time, all, like, 10 months. Mm-hmm. Which that that would drive anyone insane, honestly. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. she never revealed anything. She was tortured after her escape attempt. She was marked as extremely dangerous. She was during the solitary confinement. She was beaten. She was hurt, uh, and she did not give up a single thing to the Nazis. This small, diminutive woman. And after that, I think I think honestly, what happened was that she didn't break, so they sent her to Dachau, um, and yeah. But her last, and this is the part that always gives me chills, as she was being dragged away uh, in the concentration camp, and she was going to the, basically, be murdered, as she was thrown to the ground, she yelled, liberty. Mm. And that was her last word, and that was the last word that the people around her heard her say. Mm. Um, and like, it's like, I guess they choked up yeah. like every time. Yeah, like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful moment. Just like, the, so fucking cool, man. These women are so amazing her role in world war ii changed the course of world war ii like it 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 is undeniable that she did and how do we not know enough like we don't know enough about her we don't know nearly as much like it it should be widely known that this woman did this Mm -hmm. it should be Mm -hmm. so widely known absolutely uh, but her story does end sadly um on a kind of like a more positive spin the last two on this list don't (laughs) 
Yes. Let's do our little bit happier. Um, The the night witches have their sad moments just because it is war. Yeah. Uh, Yes. So should we move on to the night witches then? So the night witches were an all women uh, regiment of uh, bombers and fighters, air fighters, uh, supported by women engineers and women support staff. Uh, More or less, uh, Major Marina Raskova, who is more or less the Soviet Amelia Earhart, like famous Soviet air navigator. And because she was famous, she had a personal relationship with Stalin and more or less hit Stalin up and was like, hey, I'm going to make you an all-women combat role situation if you sign off on it. And he did, which imagine going up to Joseph Stalin and being like, hey, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... It was all female volunteers in their teens and early 20s. And they uh, acted for three years. Uh, they flew, many pilots flew, flew over 800 missions. Uh, there's 23,000 sorties dropping over 3,000 tons of bombs. Uh, and sadly, 32 members did die in combat over the course of the war. They're the most decorated uh, unit in the Soviet Army, female unit in the Soviet Army. And they had about 200 at one point or another. Um, and 25 of them got the nation's highest honor. They got so a hero of the Soviet Union. So 25 women got the highest honor at like period in the story that they possibly could have. And they were the, just for like historical knowledge, the 588th Night Bomber Aviation Regiment. There it is. That is <laughs> <laughs> that's like their official number. Um, but what was cool about them and the fact, like how they got their nickname was they had the, because obviously women don't get things, um, they had like the oldest planes that didn't run very well and were very loud. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they would turn off their engines and fly in and get low, 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 low to the ground silently, re- like release their bombs and then turn the engine back on mid-flight and fly away. So fucking cool. It's so (laughs) fucking cool. (laughs) You just hear whoosh and then explosions. Yeah. But yeah, they they became like legends in Germany because Mm -hmm. no one could tell when they were coming because they turned their engines off. Right. Well, the, the planes were extremely light. You could just take your finger and poke it into the material of the wing and then you'd be done. So they were flying World War I um, planes essentially in World War II and because of that, their airspeed was so slow that they could uh, make tighter turns and maneuvers. So they, were, they weren't they were the best with like air-to-air combat but they can at least evade um, the, the enemy planes which was um, just, a, just a fun fact. Yeah, like another great movie opportunity. Like I don't wanna see another, you know, World War II movie about, you know, America, I want to see the Night Witches. Like, right. I want to see this. It's a different story. Like, let's tell it. Yeah. Um, Sadly, I think recent geopolitical events means we won't see a movie yes. anytime soon. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But the last lady on this list mm-hmm. is Ching yes. um, Shi. Might not be her real name. It probably isn't uh, because she was born in uh, a very low class system. Um, it was definitely a time in China where most women, when they were born into the class that she was, kind of turned to sex work. Um, she, however, had a different vision for her life and, and the things that are written about her, uh, and said about her, she was just this enigmatic personality that could convince anybody to do anything. Um, and she, uh, eventually took to piracy. She started on a ship. She like very cool personal life too. She was like, she and her husband also had like a triad relationship with like another one of their generals. And they were very, they basically had like the, the, oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, know they were like a thruple. It was great. Um, it's worse. It gets worse. <laughs> the whole situation where after her husband dies, she, she has her adopted son to help her solidify control. And then she marries the adopted mm-hmm. yep. son. Yeah. Yep. Who, they kidnapped that kid when he was 15 so she's known him since she was 15. there's also speculation that they were involved together before mm-hmm. her husband yes. died but also storm. the husband was also involved with him yes but... this is the thruple situation um <laughs> yeah that makes it so much worse yeah. holy but, um, fuck. <laughs> she was 
She's a controversial figure for a couple of reasons, but a cool thing about her was when she took power and she got her pirate fleet, I think at one point she was commanding like 70,000 ships. And like for context, like when you think of like piracy in like England and Spain and stuff, um, they commanded like at most like five to 6,000. So when you can consider the fact that we do hear about piracy, but we hear like about Blackbeard and um, the other guys, Samuel Bellamy, pirates that we do occasionally hear about, um, it's, it pales in comparison to what Ching was able to do. Um, and when she reached power and when she was commanding all these ships, she was so organized. She had different colored squadrons that each had a leader. Basically it was like, kind of like represent, representation of each of these fleets had a certain number of commanders that reported directly to her. She believed in keeping it in the family. So like the people who were commanders of the ships were very close to her. She and, or her husband often slept with these commanders. They were very, you know, very liberal in their loving. Um, but when she became powerful, she actually made it illegal to sexually assault or rape uh, female prisoners. Um, there's debates on how effective this was because you could still marry prisoners. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> if they were your wife, all of a sudden it was a little less than, you know, bad. But she did, uh, yeah, she did enact that because of her experiences in her personal life. Um, and she was the most feared pirate at like pretty much ever. And she became so, so, so powerful. And I won't say the end of her story yet, uh, but if anybody else wants to jump in and talk about Chang for a little bit, please do. She got the Chinese, the Portuguese, and the British to work together to hunt her down. That's impressive. And they still failed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of people that were after her and she still gets away. And well, 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 spoiler alert, we'll get to that. Um, and I will, I will say the ending because it's one of my favorite things in the world is the ending of her story. She was so powerful and un they could not capture her. They could not do it. So the emperor of China met with her and was just like, what do you want? And she was like, <laughs> oh, okay, I would like to retire in peace, amnesty for every single member of my crew. They can do whatever they want with their lives. I'm not giving you a single cent. I'm retiring with all my wealth and I'm going to go have a great time with my stepson slash husband out in like the middle of nowhere and be wealthy for the rest of my life. And the emperor was like, if you stop, yes. Like no arguing, no bartering. It was literally just like, what do you want? And she was like, I want this. And he said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I she made a gambling house. Mm -hmm. That was how her retirement plan. She made a gambling house and like, her adopted son slash second husband did die. Um, I think relatively early because he he went he went on the other side. He became a lawman hunting pirates. Uh, uh, but like yeah, live it just living the life of luxury to the end of her days, and she lived like a nice long yeah. life, happy ending. About time, yeah. honestly. <laughs> Another great. I can't believe. In all of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, of which there are like 20 at this point, not right, a single yeah. one about this lady. Oh, yeah, but these, oh, this was our list of ladies. Um, yeah. And there are so many more that we could talk about and discuss. And But at the end of the day, if we've convinced you of nothing else, uh, we hope that we've convinced you that these ladies are super cool. Mm -hmm. um, and also that there is so much more to history than what we learn about on the surface level. Um, there are so much more there's so many more people yeah. there's so many more stories and moments that really drive what history is and how things happen uh so you know read some books and pick up weird things and fall down youtube rabbit holes because you never mm -hmm. know where you're going to learn and what kind of cool people you're going to pick up and i do again want to plug this fantastic book that I picked up uh, a while ago, which is called Rejected Princesses by Jason Parath. It is suitable for children um, and adults. Uh, it has a whole lot of stories about really, really cool heroines, hellions, and heretics throughout history. Mm. But this is great. No, I love talking about this. I love listening about the to this sort of thing because I, I know very little as evident by the amount uh, that I've spoken in this episode, but it's, it's so jarring to hear these stories you've never heard before and think where the fuck were these stories when I was growing up these are great stories to tell well okay some of these are great stories to tell your kids edited versions maybe but like 
keep it moving, pass it on, uh, especially uh, reaching out to, you know, my fellow straight white men. Gotta kind of fucking do a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, these are these are stories that we should be talking about much more. Mike, final thoughts? Yeah, no, th- this is so much of the fun of this was researching all of these women ahead of the podcast. And I just want to plug one last woman. Her name is Jane Digby. Uh, not necessarily historically important, but she lived her life. And it, it, just peruse her Wikipedia article. It is a delight, truly. And I, um, I will add on to that and plug Julie Diavigny, who is the French uh, opera singing, nun seducing, uh, bisexual history lady that we all want to be. All right, quick plugs. Yes. Yell at us on Twitter. We're at the nerd, the word. Uh, please, please, please feel free to join our Facebook group. Talk to us about what you want to talk about. Talk about why we're right, why we're wrong. If we have historical inaccuracies in this, which is more than possible because, you know, we're, we did it rather fast. Um, but please, you know, talk to us about what you liked, what you didn't like, what you wanted to hear more about, whether or not you're going to join the official Poulon Davy uh, fan club. Um, <laughs> and if you have questions, comments, concerns, do you have ideas for future episodes, or do you want to be a guest, please email us at nerdistheword413 at gmail.com. We are currently looking for villain experts, so if you are an expert in villainy, uh, please come join and talk about villains. A big, big, big thank you one more time to Mike Murphy. Thanks for joining us, history buff. (laughs) Anytime. Uh, And in the meantime, everyone, we hope that you've learned something. Uh, Please remember to be kind to each other and try to find some joy in this world. See you next week.